Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast, episode number 90. Chris Jacobson and the Viking Buck, a Minnesota monster. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey, this is Jeremy Moore with DogBoneHunter.com. Get ready for another amazing show on the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Hey, this is Matt Duff. And Jeff Danker. From Major League Bowhunter, and you're listening to the best podcast on the internet, the Big Buck Registry. I'm Jim Stickle, your biologist, and you're listening to my favorite hunting podcast on the internet, Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Welcome to the show. This is Jay Scott, your host of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. I am also joined by my good friend, the Hound Dog. The Chubby Tines master, Dusty Phillips. How is everybody? Jay, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing Man, well. It's, uh, is it, it's good or well? Well, I think it's well. Yeah, I think so. I'm doing Man, well. Either way, I just feel good. I, I do, too. It's great to be back on the mic, and uh, it's great to have all the listeners tune in with us to uh, take the next adventure right here on the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. I love having friends along the way as we get to engage in a great deer story. Absolutely, man. You know, there's there's nothing there's nothing better to listen to than than a great deer story. You know, you agree with that? I love them. I've always loved them. I've loved them since I was a kid, and to this day, I still love them. It's amazing how this gets in your blood and in your system, and it uh, you really enjoy it. You know, it could be What's, somebody you meet in the woods. Could be you know just somebody you just you know just pull up next to, and they're they're at the deer station to you know whatever. I'll sit there completely engaged listening to a good deer story i've been like late to stuff because of a deer story heck yeah <laughs> heck yeah it's amazing though you know what's the weather doing in new hampshire i'm telling you here in ohio it's man it's nice out it's warmed up it's not quite as nice as i think it should be but it's I mean it's doing this typical thing it's like um above freezing during the day freezing at night below freezing at night so this is a good time for like maple sugaring and collecting sap, a great New England thing to do, but it really can't happen unless these temperatures do exactly this, you know, mid-40s, 25 at night. Right. We, uh, we've we been touching into the 50s, and uh, we got into the 60s a little bit last week, so it's man, it's pretty amazing, really, that uh, spring's almost here, you know, we're getting out and doing a little shed hunting, it's, yeah. it's dang, it's muddy. I always, I think spring, spring is funny, because spring is actually a date. It's not a season, I mean, it is a season, but there's actually a date. It doesn't start ba- based off a of temperature. It starts based off of a date on a calendar. Right. You know, and it, the the earth's all changing. The ground's saturated from the snow and being frozen. Yeah. And, uh, man, it's, uh, it's a muddy mess. But I, I think I can deal with that uh, for what's to come, you know? Yeah. We, when it warms up during the day, we get, especially that there was a couple of days where it actually almost touched 50 and it saturated the ground. All the snow melted in certain spots. It made it really muddy. And then it just froze up at night. So... It hasn't really gotten too much higher than uh, 35 since then, 
But in that process, all the snow came off of my barn roof and just flooded my four-wheeler trailer. So I got to go dig some more. <laughs> you got to love the big snow that you guys get up that way. That's some deep snow. What, what, how, how many inches did you have? I think we uh, totaled, I think total snowfall ended up being like 56 inches. What stayed on the ground probably was a good 48 inches throughout the entire season until now. It's amazing. Now, keep in mind that I have pictures of my game camera where the the ground where we had snow, it had melted down to bare ground again late December. So all this stuff happened starting in the first week of January. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, that's rough on the deer herd. It is, but it's also not too bad because it started so late. And they were still able to move around for pretty much all through January. It wasn't until we got to February that things got a little tough. Colder, really cold temps, and the snow wasn't melting during the day. So they had to basically survive a month's worth of really bad weather. But now it's kind of back to normal. So the deer herd, I think, did fairly well because, although it feels like a lot, is actually a short amount of time that they couldn't move. Right, yeah, I understand that. Hopefully it didn't uh, didn't kill off to me the herd there in New Hampshire, and, and this year is a great year coming. Yeah, I think it will be. We'll have to see what the biologists say, but I'm just from my speculative observations, I'd say we're doing okay. Right on. So uh, let's get into a great deer story. Who we got on the show tonight, Jay? Well, guess where we're going today? We're going to Minnesota. Minnesota. Minnesota of all places. Home of the Vikings. Home of the Vikings. We don't go to Minnesota very often. We usually, you know, we get a lot coming out of Ohio, but we're going to Minnesota tonight. And we're going to talk to Christopher Jacobson, who shot what is now known as the Viking Buck, courtesy Man. of Mr. Dusty Phillips. It's amazing how that, uh, you know, a picture and a few seconds, a deer name comes in my head. You, you, you are like a, a world-class deer namer. Yeah, it's just one of them things that uh, I enjoy it, and I also see the name, you know. Yeah. It was pretty amazing to be able to look at this deer that Chris shot and be able to pull the name as quickly as I did just by looking at now, it. Why did you name it that? Tell me more about what you thought. I mean, we've seen the pictures. Yeah, th- this deer we're getting ready to talk about tonight on, on the podcast is amazingly heavy mass on the mainframe. And the mass is carried throughout the antlers, but uh, throughout the points, G2, 3s. But the main beam on these on this particular buck, it literally looks like a Viking helmet. When you when you look at a picture, the, the antlers are curved up like the Viking the, the horns that were on the Viking helmet, and uh, the mass is there. It looks just like the horns on the Viking helmet. If you literally took these antlers off, put them on a Viking helmet, it would look just like a Viking helmet walking yeah. at it. If you took, cut off the, the short tines around it, it would be a Viking helmet with a really long horn on both sides. <laughs> It'd be it would, cool. Imagine if you like if you did cut off the tines, it would be like one of those longhorn steers. Yeah, it would. It'd yeah. be crazy. Yeah, big mass, you know, carried five inches all the way out on average. Yep. From the base was six inches, I think Chris said, and mm-hmm. and the mass runs clear the to the to dang near the tip of the main beam. I mean, it's crazy mass. Just yeah, and we we as I said, I think we need a new scoring system for bucks of this nature. Cause oh, it's amazing. You're not going to get a high score, but what a awesome, awesome, awesome rack. Oh yeah, it's fabulous rack. Mass, is unbelievable mass. Yep. I, th- I think we should get him going right away. But before we do, I have a favor to ask of each and every one of you listening to the show. And we could use a little help from you. We need some help gathering some funds to keep the show going. And I don't want you to send in stuff you don't have. That's not what I'm asking for. 
hard times out there for a lot of people, and I don't want anybody to send in money for this 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 project. But if you have a couple extra bucks, even if you have an extra two dollars, I would gladly take it to help fund our show. Yeah, it would, it would be great. You know, uh, we're not asking that uh, if if you're running on hard times, don't you know, don't contribute. But if you got an extra couple bucks laying around and you're willing to help out, that'd be awesome. Donate. Uh, how can they donate, Jay? Well, the, we have set up a page specifically for donations to the show. And again, a little bit helps. More helps, obviously. But don't send it in if you can't afford it. But if you can't afford it, two bucks, fifty bucks, hundred bucks, whatever you want to send that you can afford. The best place to go is www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash donate. You'll see a big button there, and it'll give you some details, and then that'll bring you to a PayPal link, and you can type in whatever you feel like donating to the cause. And what you're donating to is helping us pay our bills to keep this show going, the hosting, the the, the, the monthly cost that it takes us to upload and, and keep this show alive and well with all of our data and all of our our archive shows, it does cost money. And we could use a little help from Absolutely. great fans and hunters and listeners just like yourself. Absolutely. You know, and I'm, I'm going to give a shout out, Jay. Who are you shouting out to, Dusty? I'm going to shout out to James Keller. James Keller. James Keller made a uh, contribution to the Big Buck Registry, and we really appreciate that. Yes. James, we can't thank you enough from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you for tuning into the show. Thank you for being a great fan and a great listener. And man, uh, you know, your donation will go a very, very long way. So thank yeah, you, thanks, James. James. Thank you yeah. very much. We really appreciate it. Well, that's, uh, that's the donation piece. And let's, uh, let's get on to the, the meat and potatoes of the show. Yeah, let's call Chris up and see what's going on with the Viking buck. Let's do it. Chris Jacobson, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. Um, you know, there's, there's really uh, just a few reasons that uh, we, we might ask somebody to be on the show. And, of course, our number one reason is that uh, you shot an um, amazing giant buck. And uh, we couldn't help but notice that the, the tine mass just blew me away. Uh, thank you. Yeah, um, this particular deer, um, I'd have to agree. Uh, I haven't seen any personally. Um, uh, in, in all my years of hunting, that uh, that quite compares to this particular buck. I was pretty blown away with the, uh, the actual mass of the the rack itself. Yeah, it's it's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. Now you got to set the stage for us. Where where do you hang out? Where do you call home? Uh, I live um, well. My hometown is Fergus Falls, Minnesota. Um, I was born and raised there, and uh, I live currently about nine miles northeast of Fergus. So um, yeah, uh, like I said, born and raised there. Um, I grew up hunting. I've been hunting pretty much my whole life. I'm 31 years old right now. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I've I've got a wife of almost 12 years. Uh, I've got three beautiful daughters. And uh, yeah, I get out in the woods as much as I can. Uh, my main love is bow hunting, but I do get okay. out. And uh, this particular deer was a rifle deer. But um, yeah, as far as uh, a day in the life of me, um, I am I own my own business. I am okay. a commercial residential carpet cleaning company. Okay. Um, Very cool. So I, I, I like having my own business because it allows me more time to do what I like to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can dig that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my, uh, uh, part of the reason why I do it. Uh, it just affords me some free time, especially in the fall. So, gotcha. um, you know, I can kind of schedule my hunts uh, around my work uh, more, sure. <laughs> more than work around. Yep. Hunt, but, 
What's life like in, in, in Minnesota where you're at? Is it city, rural? How would you describe life? Um, well, first of all, is it's uh, somewhat of a retirement community as well as an agricultural area. So we are kind of, uh, we are just about an hour southeast of Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, most people oh, have yeah. an idea where that is. Yeah, because of the movie. And, uh, yeah, right. uh, the movie has nothing to do with it, <laughs> what Fargo <laughs> is actually like. But, um, <laughs> but uh, um, so we are kind of uh, right on the edge of agricultural. Well, it's all around us, but kind of to the east of us is a lot of uh, heavy, rich Red River Valley beet farms. And then, uh, I'm sorry, to the west of us. And then to the east is, is a lot of uh, corn and beans. So, and, and a lot to the south as well. So, and then uh, and we're right on the edge of lake country too. So it's just a beautiful area to, to live and play. Sounds like a quite a, a paradise, actually. That's awesome. Yeah. I, a lot of people have asked us, well, my wife especially, she'd like to move south or somewhere warmer. Um, you know, it's Minnesota's a little bit cool in the wintertime, but uh, I couldn't imagine living anywhere else. And like I said, born and raised here, and I just I, I love the outdoor activities. Gotcha. How'd you get into hunting? Were you a young child? Somebody teach you? Do you have a mentor of any sort? Um, I would say my dad got me into it primarily. Uh, my dad is uh, about as addictive as I am. <laughs> Um, but he he was much more of a waterfowler. Um, did a lot of waterfall, um, upland bird hunting, and uh, deer for him is more of a necessity. He, you know, he he goes out to fill the freezer, and um, he's definitely not obsessed with deer as as, as much as I am or have become. Um, so I would say, um, you know, my love of hunting comes from him. Um, I would go out with him as much as possible. Okay. Uh, you know, basically from very young age, five, six years old. So, okay. uh, I still hunt with him to this day. So. Cool. That's always nice to, to hunt with your dad. That's yes. A, it's a blessing. So tell us about your obsession. You mentioned you had a, your dad is not as obsessed with deer hunting as much as you are. <laughs> Let's talk about your obsession here. Sure. Let's, um, yeah. Why do you call it up, that? <laughs> well, I call it that, um, just because there isn't a day that goes by that I'm not thinking about some facet of hunting and deer hunting especially. Um, I'm always thinking about how can I improve the property that I hunt or, um, you know, what can I do differently? What, what new tactics can I, you know, employ to try to figure out a certain deer? Um, I'm always trying to better myself in, in that way. And that's really come about uh, over time. Um, I, like I said, growing up, my, my dad wasn't a big deer hunter. We went out for the annual deer opener, which at that time was, um, you got two days. So, uh, the rifle hunt was uh, a Saturday, Sunday, and that was pretty much it for the year. So, um, you know, we would go out and hunt and, and just have a good time as kind of a get together with family. And, uh, um, I'd say through high school, um, uh, early on in high school, I started bow hunting. And uh, once I got my driver's license, it kind of took off from there. Uh, just having freedom of time. You know, our bow season runs from mid-September through the end of December. So you're talking three and a half months of, of time that uh, you can spend in the woods. And it's just so much different um, going after a whitetail that isn't pressured, like when the Orange Army is out in full force. So, right. um I would say my obsession started there. Um, back in high school, uh, you know, a kid other than school, I didn't have any real responsibilities. So it was, um, at that time, it was uh, quantity over quality. So I spent as much hours in the tree as I could, um, not necessarily in the right spots, just trying to <laughs> trying to figure it out. Sure, um, trial and error, yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, over time, especially, you know, I'm married now and kids and I have uh, a life and, and uh, bills to pay and all kinds of other stuff now. So now it's it's... 
kind of turned full circle for me and it's become more quality over quantity. So I don't get out as much as I want, but I make sure that the times that I do go out are, are uh, the odds are tips in my favor, um, if you know what I'm talking about. Right. Uh, you know, right. You, you do your homework ahead of time and you pick the right stand for the wins and, and, and hope to play your cards right. So uh, definitely matured that way. Um, but I would definitely say that uh, uh, my obsession just keeps growing and growing and um, uh, part of the reason is you never really figure out the white tailed deer. <laughs> I mean, you, right. you feel like you eventually get them figured out, but you don't. So um, it's a constant learning experience, and that's what I really enjoy about it. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's one of those things that always keeps you coming back because you never really solved the puzzle to begin with. Exactly. Yep. Just when you think you have it figured out, the puzzle changes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, so your hunting, uh, your, most of your hunting is done nearby, sounds like, from where you live. Yes. Um, uh, like I said, I, I live fairly close to, to uh, where I work, um, but uh, I have probably four or five different properties that I have that are mostly within um, about 30 minutes of where I live. Uh, 40 minutes is probably about as far as I go. Okay. Uh, we do have a lot of public hunting um, opportunities as well, but uh, like I said before, given the, uh, my time constraints, I kind of stick to the, the private areas that I have uh, just because everything's kind of set up and ready to go for me. So okay. um, I focus my time on that. But but uh, yeah, I don't drive too far. Okay. So public land is available, but you've chosen not to do it. You've got five different properties that you hunt um, that are private that are all within 30 minutes of your house. Let's talk about the yes. five, the big five here. Um, okay. How did you decide to, the, you, five was the right number, um, and then how did you go about picking these spots? Okay. Um, well, as far as picking the spots, uh, there was no real formula to that. It's um, it's more what was available to me. I haven't gone and done a whole lot of knocking on doors just for the simple fact that um, everything that I currently hunt is either family owned or, uh, good friends own that. Um, so, uh, I, I would go out and, and try to find more if I had time to devote to more. Okay. Um, but I feel like I have enough right now that, uh, that I, I, I wouldn't do justice to any more property. Um, uh, you know, if, if something came available that, that I'd be interested in looking at, then I would, I'd definitely look at it. But, um, at this time, that's that's kind of you know no real signs to it. That's just what's available to me at okay. this time. So they kind of came to you in a sense, or there's kind of you realize that there's an opportunity here. And these are friends and family. You said that that generally own these these pieces of property. Yes, for the most part. Um, I'm kind of unique in that there are not very many members of my family that do any sort of archery hunting. So, um, you know, there's a few that will rifle hunt here and there. So I kind of stay out of their way during the rifle season. And um, I have some certain friends that I go out during the rifle season with and we kind of do an annual thing there. But um, as far as archery goes, I kind of have most of the spots to myself, which is really nice. That's nice. So you don't have any competition from other hunters because they're private. You don't have any other competition from family members because most of them don't hunt. Um, sounds like you got a nice setup there. So let's. Uh, would you agree? Uh, absolutely. All yeah, right. it has been a, a real blessing. All right, that's cool. Chris, would it be safe to say that the the low pressure that the DRC gives you the advantage? Um, you'd like to think you have the advantage. <laughs> um, the the one thing that I have seen that um, I think would be an advantage would be to have larger pieces of property. Um, most of the properties that I hunt are quite small, so um, I still see pressure from neighbors, uh, which you know is what it is. But um, 
you know, as far as not having other people on the, on the piece of property that I'm hunting, um, I would say yes. It's definitely an advantage um, to kind of be the only one out there. Okay. Right, absolutely. Let's talk about the five pieces of property that you hunt, and uh, l- let's start with the largest piece. How much acreage are we talking about? Um, well, that's kind of a unique story. The largest piece um, that I used to hunt up until this last season was 200 acres. Um and, um, you know, that's kind of part of the story to this particular buck um, was losing that 200 acres and being forced onto the neighboring farm. <laughs> so um, um, for that particular farm um, is the furthest from my house. Um, it's uh, It was mostly a wooded um, cow pasture type land. Um, and uh, I had uh, gained permission to hunt that property back in 2008. And that was my first season of hunting that was uh, the fall of 08. Okay. And I, I've hunted it ever since. Um, and then I did hunt it um, one time um, during the, the bow season back in September of 2014 um, prior to it being sold at auction. Okay. But, uh, but I no longer have that piece. Okay. So, so that one's out of, um, your, out of your piece. Did this have anything yeah. to do with the story with the buck we we're going to talk about? It does. It does. Yes. Okay. So we need to, we yep. need to talk more about. Tell, tell us about the other the other four pieces. Um, sure. Do Do you end up? I mean, having five different pieces that are all private is kind of unique, and especially talk to, to the people that we've we've talked to. Do, do you? How do you keep keep track of them? Do you end up naming them? Do you have a name for a particular track of land? Um. No, not necessarily. Um. You know, I, I just name them kind of what they are. You know. Um. You know, the one particular property. I name it by the last name of the owners. Um, okay. uh, then one particular piece uh, that I do a lot of bow hunting on uh, is owned by my grandma. So that's just my grandma's farm. Grandma's, uh, grandma's yep. property. Got it. Yep. Uh, another piece that I hunt, um, it's just a smaller piece. It's 18 acres, and that's owned by my father-in-law. So I, I, I do quite a bit of bow hunting there as well. Okay. Um, and then uh, I myself, I live on four acres. I, I don't hunt it very much. I do have a stand in my backyard, but... Um, you know, when I have all these other pieces to go to, this one kind of gets put by the wayside. So, <laughs> okay, so you got a, a big range, anywhere from four acres to eighteen to to the the big one that is related to the deer story. Yes, yep. Oh. Um, my grandma's property is ninety acres. Ninety, um, okay. So, um, yeah, so you know, I have four eighteen. Um, there's another eighty that I can hunt, and then a ninety, um, and then uh, I've got a couple other farms that I'm just looking at um, that my, my father-in-law acquired last summer. Uh, I did not hunt them last fall at all, but those are both um, smaller farmsteads. Uh, one is seven acres, one is ten, So, okay. um, but definitely have some potential of holding some decent deer. Okay. Now, wh- when you say potential, what do you look at when you're trying to decide whether it's a good piece of property to hunt or not? Um, I look at, well, especially when it's a smaller piece like that, I look at the neighboring, you know, the surrounding property. Um, this one that I'm talking about that's 10 acres uh, is surrounded by, uh, well, that particular 10 acres is, is kind of oak um, pasture. Uh, so, I mean, it's really a great setup for um, intercepting deer. Um, but the area around it is um, slough land and, um, you know, lowland with CRP grasses and then some crop field as well. So, um I look for certain, um, you know, you want to talk about like funnels and things like that. But uh, when you're talking smaller pieces like that, you need to look at you know, what's going to draw a deer to that area. You know, being you can't, if you see a deer 200 yards away and you're only on uh, six or seven acres, you can't really chase after it. So, um, you know, those deer have to come to you somehow. So, um, yeah, I just, I look for the surrounding area and, you know, whether the surrounding area is going to hold deer 
and then what you can do to improve that particular piece that you can hunt that would draw the deer to you. Gotcha. Okay. And which of your five that you're hunting is your favorite? Well, my absolute favorite was the one that I lost. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. So let's talk um, more about that that plot sure. then. Tell, tell us, how did you first uh, acquire this piece of property and when? Uh, well, like I said, back in 2008, um, uh, this is a family friend of my father-in-law. Okay. Um, it's owned, owned by um, an elderly gentleman and his wife, and they both hunt. Uh, they're okay. an amazing couple. And basically, um, my father-in-law is not a big deer hunter. You know, He's kind of like my dad. He goes out for the camaraderie and just has a good time. Sure. And um, he got invited along one year, and it just so happened at the same time, um, I was looking for a place to go. Um, I used to hunt a family farm that was 80 acres prior to that that was sold in 2006. Um, so in 2007, I, I kind of struggled through the year uh, with not a whole lot of places to go, and, you know, these smaller properties. Um, so then in 2008, I was invited to hunt on this property and uh, and kind of hunt, have hunted it ever since. So um, that was kind of how that was brought about. Okay. And tell us about the whole layout of this plot how many how many acres are we talking about what's the the landscape if you had to describe sure. it what would you say it was like um this one was uh it's it was um there was four 40s that were in a in a block so it was a square um, 160 acres square mm. and then there was a 40 acre l off of that so it was 200 acres total um and then uh, it was kind of a mix of i would say probably 45 to 50 percent of hardwoods, uh, and then uh, the rest was rolling hills, pasture land, uh, and it had a couple of nice uh, sloughs in it. So, uh, you know, it was a really good, uh, the, the the landowner rented it out as pasture land during the summer, which kept the, the brush down really nicely. So it was a really nice property for, you know, being able to do some still hunting, walking around in. Uh, you could see really well, uh, but the deer felt very comfortable there. Uh, they were there to go around with the cattle. Um, there was a lot of um, you know, there, I'm sorry, there wasn't a lot of food on the property to keep the deer there, but there was surrounding cropland. Um, so it, it was just kind of the ideal habitat. Uh, and uh, what made it so special is it was just set up as, you know, the old-fashioned deer camp. Uh, we had um, a pole building there that was set up for uh, with bunks in it, and we had a kitchen, and we kind of did our whole thing there. At, at one time, we probably had eight or nine guys and, and a couple of their wives staying there. Uh, over the weekend. Um, oh, wow. So it was like a deer yeah. camp. Ended up... Yeah, it was an actual deer camp. You know, it wasn't that far away from home, but, you know, we drove there, we spent the weekend. Okay. And, uh, you know, we had, there was seven or eight different box blinds that we could go to that were elevated. And okay. We went out the weekend before and did the whole, put the eaters in the stands and all this. It was, um, it was just kind of your quintessential deer camp, you know, Minnesota, Northwoods type thing. And uh, that's what I really enjoyed about it. Gotcha. Now, wh- where are you located? Where's your town located uh, relative to the state, like north, south, east, west? Whereabouts are you? We are we are in midwestern Minnesota. So um, we are about 25 miles from the border of North Dakota if you went straight west. Okay, got it. Um, so, right, and right. then about, about halfway north and south okay. in the state. All right, so you have a deer camp, and the, the, the quintessential Minnesota deer camp, and so you have some... A variety of people staying there. Does everybody contribute to the land at that point, or is this with uh, the permission of the land owner? How does the land get maintained? 
Uh, the land was pretty much maintained by the landowner. Um, the, the people that hunted there were friends of his um, for the most part. And then, of course, I was um, invited along through my father-in-law and then became friends. Uh, but um, uh, the landowner and his wife are, were real stewards of the property. And, and I shouldn't say were, um, other than that they don't have any more, but right. they're still alive. Right. Um, but um, they they just loved the land. And they, were, they had had the property for, I, I want to say, about 20 years. And, uh, you know, it was kind of just his passion and, and hers as well. They go out and cut wood and clear trails and just keep it looking nice. Um, it was their thing and they like to share it with us. So okay. it was, it was just a real blessing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's uh, just real giving people taking Very, a nice exactly. piece of property yeah. and, and making it available to the friends of theirs. Man. Absolutely. Doesn't get any better than that, does it? No, not at all. <laughs> so yeah, how, go ahead, Dusty. How many guys hunted on this? Um, on the 200 acres that, at the height of it, um, you know, in, in 08, 09, and 2010, we, we would have, uh, there was me and my father-in-law, and then he brought uh, uh, two, his two sons at that time. They weren't hunting, but they came with for fun. Um, and then the landowner, landowner and his wife, and then there was uh, uh, a friend of his and his wife that would hunt as well. And then, um, you know, certain years there was more than others um, in that this other friend and his wife, um, he had a couple brothers that came from out of state. Um, I believe one came from Colorado and then one came actually from uh, northern Minnesota and came down and hunted with us a couple times. So, you know, there could be seven or eight of us at a time once in a while. Right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, for the most part, um, you know, the ones that hunted it the most were myself and uh, the landowner his, and his wife. So the three of us were kind of the, uh, you know, the mainstays. Right, gotcha. What was eight, eight to ten hunters comfortable on two hundred acres? Uh, you know, that was interesting. Uh, it was very comfortable on that property. Uh, the the landowner, like I said, he takes great pride in what he does, and uh, he took painstaking measures. I mean, more so than I would have even thought to his stand placement. Um, there weren't any stands that could see any other stands and there weren't any, uh, so there was there was no worry of being shot at. Uh, you know, there was uh, landmarks, you know, hills or uh, heavily wooded areas between us that, you know, no bullet could pass through. So I, I found that very interesting when I started hunting with them that they, all the stands were placed strategically that uh, as long as people weren't out walking around and that was one of his rules for hunting there that if you're in your stand, you're in your stand. Um, just so he knew he was the only one that was really allowed to walk around and do any pushes and just so we were safe and we knew what was going on. Um, so I, I felt completely comfortable with that many people there. Yeah. Great. That's awesome. You know, that's a, that's quite a few hunters on a 200 acre parcel, but if it's laid out right, it sounds like it was pretty comfortable. It was. Yes. And, uh, and at the same time we did have the neighboring 80 to the West. Um, so, uh, if we had to, we could put people on that as well. And that was owned by, uh, actually the people that rented, or uh, I'm sorry, the people that rented his farm to put the cattle on owned the, the 80 to the West and, uh, and they gave us permission to hunt that as well. Very nice. Very nice. So, so essentially we, we kind of had 280 acres to hunt, um, and that was kind of separated just by a gravel road. Got it. That's neat. So you've got, uh, a managed piece of property then, and it's a concerted effort amongst, several different people, including the landowners, that let you hunt there. That's nice. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Now, talk to us about the deer management aspects of this land. What, what kind of efforts were you making to make this into a decent, huntable piece of property so that you leave the big bucks and in, in what turned out to be a giant deer that you took? And how did you go about making sure everybody was on board 
and about the basically how were the the deer the deer herd itself how were they maintaining and staying healthy throughout the year and have other bucks been harvested along along the, the years um, you know, I'd like to tell you that it, it was a big management effort, but this one, this particular property was not. Um, this one was kind of, I don't want to say a free-for-all, but there, we didn't have any, you know, self-imposed regulation on antler size or, you know, don't shoot does or, you know, leave the button bucks or anything like that. Uh, the landowner is very gracious in that respect. Um, he kind of just um, gave those decisions to us. So, uh, personally, I typically would wait for a larger deer, except back in when I first started hunting there, um, our tags were much more liberal. We we were allowed more deer. You know, right now we can shoot basically one. Um, so, um, you know, back then, um, it was kind of the first day, shoot whatever you see, let's fill the freezers, and then we can look for horns later. And that was kind of the, the plan. But, um, you know, personally, I would, I would shoot and fill tags, you know, as the deer came. Um, and that's kind of what everybody did. Um, but, you know, I'm always looking for a mature buck. But as far as, uh, you know, the management aspect of that particular piece, um, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot there. We didn't do any food plots uh, simply because of the cattle. Uh, it, it wouldn't have worked. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, the management aspect of it is pretty boring, I'm sorry to say. But uh, there just wasn't a whole lot going on there. And, um, I never took it upon myself to do a whole lot with that just because it wasn't something that I owned and it was about 40 minutes from my house. So uh, time-wise, in the summertime, I'm very busy with work. So um, I, I never did anything as far as uh, deer herd improvement on that property. Yeah. Well, um, you say that that's not interesting, but I think that's very interesting. Dusty, would you agree that you know there wasn't a, a major management effort on this? We always hear that, oh, there's always a management effort. But in this case, <laughs> there wasn't. I think that's fascinating. Right, you know, no, I, Diff- different hunters uh, have different ways of going about a piece of property, you know? The the, the vast majority of those that I hunt with are not uh, trophy hunters, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, they're they're meat hunters, and, uh, you know, and I would say a lot of Minnesota is that way. You know, the, 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 the deer camp of, of the bygone years is kind of just filled a meat bowl, and that's kind of exactly what this was. Um, you know, if you were lucky enough to see a big buck, you take it. Um, I've taken three really what I would consider beautiful bucks in that area in the last, um, well, since 2009, and uh, and several other deer were taken um, in the history of that farm as well that I would consider to be just beautiful animals. So um, I think the genetics are there, and uh, uh, you know, as far as uh, I do think there could have been stuff done to to promote that, um, you know, it's just nothing that we ended up doing. Right, I understand that. Let me ask you this: Do you think that the herds are healthier? when you go in meat hunting versus trophy hunting? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think in some areas that may be true. Um, here it's very difficult just because of the regulation. Uh, I think in Minnesota it's, it's difficult to manage a herd on a piece of property just because you're only allowed to shoot one deer per year. Um, you know, so it, it's very difficult for someone who is trophy hunting to, you know, they'll they'll have to forego their entire season to take out a management buck. Or, uh, again, to, if they want to just decrease their doe numbers, um, they would have to forego their, their buck season um, or their chance of shooting a big buck just to take out a doe, uh, unless they invite other people on their property to do so for them. Uh, so here it's, it's kind of difficult to say whether the herd is healthier um, just because it's difficult to manage them by hunting. Um, right, just I understand. Regulation. 
Right. That, that makes sense. And let, tell us a little bit about the, the regulations there in your state. Sure. Um, back when I was younger, and this wasn't too many years ago, um, we had, um, well, I'm sorry, let me back way up. Um, when, when I first started hunting, um, the state is kind of broken up into a bunch of different zones or areas and, um, you know, based on deer density numbers and whatnot, um, the DNR decides whether they're going to have a, a lottery for a doe permit or a lottery or, um, or no does at all or just a bucks only area. Um, so back when I was younger, the particular areas that we hunted um, around Fergus Falls were typically a, a lottery for a doe permit. And most people would, would put in for a lottery and you'd probably get one every other year. So um, they were trying to manage things that way. Uh, then it got to the point back when I was in high school, uh, this was about 15 years ago, and this lasted five or six seasons, where uh, they went to an intensive harvest, uh, which was kind of the, the entire opposite end of the spectrum, and, and they went to um, five deer per year, um, only one antlered buck. So you could shoot um, up to five antlerless or four antlerless in a buck. So, um, you know, those were kind of the free-for-all years, and, and uh, which was really nice uh, for someone like me who likes to bull hunt and rifle hunt and muzzleload. Um, now, when I say, like now, you can only shoot one deer per, per year, that's one deer no matter which season you're hunting. So if I shot one opening day a bow, I'm done for the year. Um, I can't pick up a rifle unless I'm party hunting uh, and use somebody else's tag. Do, do, um, I'm going to stop you right there for a quick second. Sure. Do, do you think that's the results of the five deer limit now that they're down to one deer that, that maybe they over-harvested in a few years? Um, personally, yes. Uh, I, I think it, I think that, that five deer free-for-all, so to speak, kind of went on too long. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people in this state that would agree with me on that. Um and uh, there's there's a lot of uh, discussion going on about the deer population numbers and the way things are going, um, simply because 95% of our state last season was a one deer limit, and uh, and I think it, it angered a lot of hunters um, because prior to that, at least I would say at least half the state or or right around there, you could at least take two, um, you know, one being a bonus um, or a management deer uh, where you could take an extra antlerless, which was really nice for a lot of people. Um, so uh, that is really in heavy discussion right now. I'm not quite sure what, you know, this coming season will bring as far as um, limits. I'm guessing they'll probably keep it the same again. Um, I think they're really trying to figure out what uh, is a healthy herd number for this state, and then uh, and and what uh, the hunting efforts are going to be to to try to maintain that number. Right, exactly. What uh, what stopped the five deer season? Do you do you have any details on what uh, the state, as far as the Hunters United, did to end the five deer seasons? Uh, I'm not really sure what actually brought it to an end. Um, yeah, I guess I'm not sure. Um, I don't have any. Uh, real insight to that. Um, uh, I'd just like to ask, you know, it's uh, one of the things that uh, somewhat uh, similar situation here in Ohio where the deer population is supposedly real high and, uh, you know, hunters' eyes have witnessed that the deers are, they're not there in the areas where they normally would be. And, uh, you know, they're speaking up. And I, I'm just wondering how uh, you guys went about getting that number brought down to a justification as far as the the herd size versus the tags that are that are issued. Uh, that, that's the reason why I want to touch base on that. There's you know some some different states out there now that's actually in the same scenario where maybe that they've allowed too much deer harvest and now they're seeing the the effects of it. 
And you know, if uh, if you had information, I'd like to pass it along. But it's it's uh, no worry that you don't. It's just something that I wanted to ask. Yeah, uh, you know, other than you know, I know. Well, no matter what you do, there's people that are against it. So I, I do know there were people that were against the five gear limit as well as there's people against the one. So, um, you know, I, I know they didn't receive feedback that way too. But um, oh yeah, I'm that, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just I, I guess I don't have much insight. Um, I do know there weren't. You know, in my opinion, there weren't a lot of people that actually took advantage of the five gear limit. Um, right. Yeah. So that's think, uh, that's a great point there. Just because they couldn't issue you five tags doesn't mean you need to use five tags. Exactly. You know, I think even myself, um, during those five or six seasons, I don't think I ever used more than three tags myself. Um, and right, I you know, that that's uh, what you can manageably eat in a season, you know. Uh, right. Th- three deer is a lot of meat in the freezer. It is, absolutely. Yeah, great point. Just because they issue the tags don't mean you have to utilize them. Exactly. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. That's very cool. Let's um let's talk a little bit about your uh your gear setup. Um what types of products, things do you use routinely to get ready for a deer hunt? What's in your backpack? What's in my backpack? Um well, I I'm very meticulous about my scent. Um I you know, I do the whole scent-free shower prior to and then you know, all my clothes are in a scent safe bag. I do the rubber boots, um spray down when I get to my uh, destination. Uh, I don't wear my hunting clothes to and from. Uh, I always dress while I'm there. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of those little things, um, a lot of people will say they're in your head, but um, to me, I think they work, so therefore they do. <laughs> uh, you sure. Know, I, uh, um, I guess I, uh, that's just the way I am. I'm, I'm pretty, um, uh, pretty meticulous in my scent control. Um, I say that Let's get a little more detail on. Let's get a sure. little more detail on that. As far as what what kind of soap is there a brand name? The soap, uh, the scent control um, soap that you use. Personally, I use the Scentaway brand. Uh, I, I believe it's Hunter Specialty. Um, I, I just I've always used that, so it's, I use that in the soap. I use that for dryer sheet um, as well as the spray. Um, so that's uh, kind of what I've been using. Um, one product that I started using this year uh, that I hadn't used prior was uh, it's actually a Minnesota company, um, and that's called Nose Jammer. Um, okay. It's, uh, I don't know if you've heard of that or not, but um, it's a product. You can spray it on yourself. I personally don't. I've heard of that before. Somebody was talking about that the other day. Yeah. Yeah, I've uh, definitely heard of that myself. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> the first time I used it, I thought I messed up my hunt. Uh, I, I sprayed it on my backpack, and the thing just reeked like uh, sweet vanilla and all kinds of what you wouldn't expect to be in the wild. Um, you know, I, I sprayed it on. And I was like, oh, my gosh, how is this going to go? So, um but uh, basically what I do now is I'll, I'll get in my tree. Basically anything that I touch on the, on the climb up uh, or once I'm getting ready, gets a, a quick dose of that. And I've really seen the, uh, I, I feel the proof is in the pudding. And I've really seen, uh, especially this year, trying to film my own hunts. Uh, I, I did not get busted once this year. And I don't think I can say that in any prior season. Um, and, you know, I had deer coming downwind and just it was never an issue. Um, so I'm I'm a firm believer in the nose jammer products. So nose jammer, you you I believe in that it covered you up enough that the deer were downwind and and was able to uh, pass by your winded direction. Yes. Interesting. We, yeah, that's very interesting. We like to hear that. Yeah. Um, need, need to learn a little bit more about that product. Yeah, it's a great product. I I really uh, I've enjoyed using it. Um, a little bit goes a long way, and you know it, it's. Um, the reason I started using that, and maybe I should back up a little bit, uh, uh, back last May, I was brought on as a field staffer for a online television show down in, based out of Northwest Arkansas. Um, 
called The Hunting Grounds, uh, and uh, Nose Jammer is one of our sponsors. So uh, that's one of the reasons that I started using that, and that was also one of the reasons why I started filming my own hunts this year and um, you know, really getting into the deer hunting more so than I have been. So um, that's what brought on the, the, the whole using the Nose Jammer. Gotcha. Okay, very cool. What else do you keep in your backpack? What else do you do to prepare? Uh, I always have a, uh, I do bring some calls along. I always have a grunt tube. Um, no particular one. I, I can't even think of what I have. I think it's an old Loman I've had for 20 years. Um, uh, and uh, I do have a pack rack, um, a little packable uh, rattle system, um, okay. which I just, I absolutely love. Uh, it's quiet when you want it to be. And uh, I did rattle in a buck this year and shot that with my bow, so that was fun. Um, uh, I always carry a can call, and uh, my second biggest buck to date came to that. So, um, I, I'm a believer in that one as well. Uh, you know, that was that was two o'clock in the afternoon on on a, an opening day rifle hunt, and I had him come right into the can call. So, um, I, I think the calls definitely have their place, uh, especially during the rut. Um, if 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 the deer is there to hear it, um, you can definitely get a favorable response from different calls. Gotcha. Uh, Minnesota, okay. Minnesota definitely isn't doesn't come to your mind as a, a, a real rattle type state and uh, you know where rattling is real effective and I would have to agree with that you know, I've rattled off and on well, a lot and uh, personally I've only ever had two bucks come to a rattle but I still do it don't ask me why but <laughs> uh, it's just something to do and it's fun uh, when it does come together it's a blast Gotcha. Very nice. All right. So we've got uh, we've got the layout of your land. We know kind of where this happens, where you hunt, how you hunt, what you get in your backpack. Let's go back in time a little bit and and walk through this hunt for this big Minnesota whitetail that you shot. Tell us about about the the preparation the day before. Like what's going on in your head about going hunting the next day? Sure. Um, the, this particular buck I shot on the second day of the rifle season. So um, I don't know if you want me to to go back, um, you know, prior to a, a couple days back yeah. to set up stand. Well, let's go. Let's go back even further. When, did, when were you first even aware that this buck might be be on the property? Well, that's an interesting story um, because I didn't know this deer was was on the property. Um, uh, if you allow me, I'll go back. Yeah. Um, to we'll allow you absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Um, so, so this stems back to this 200 acres that I used to hunt. Um, I found out just early last year that the landowners were planning to sell. Um, I should back up even a year prior. They sold part of their 200 acres uh, the season prior. So uh, they had sold off um, 80 of that. So. Uh, we were hunting on just a portion of the 200 that was left on uh, the season prior. And uh, I did shoot a nice eight-pointer that year. That was the season of 2013. Um, but then um, they had made the decision to sell the rest of it. So they were selling that at auction um, in mid-September, about a week after our bow season um, had opened up here in Minnesota. And so I really did not know. Uh, it, our, our hunting plans were up in the air um, pending who was going to buy this place uh, and when the close date for the sale was going to be, whether we were going to get another season out of this property or not. Um, well, I come to find out at the sale, um, there was a couple people that wanted it. They ended up purchasing and uh, the landowners agreed on immediate possession. So um, basically that property was done for us. So um, I did not know up till about two weeks before our, our November 8th rifle opener where I was going to be sitting opening morning. Um, what finally came together is this 
uh, I mentioned before, the neighbor to the west, where we, we hunted this 80-acre chunk to the west. Um, he still gave us permission to hunt. So our plan was um, it was just going to be myself and uh, the the landowner, the prior landowner of this 200 and his wife. So the three of us were going to hunt this 80, uh, which was neighboring property to where we used to hunt. Um, so like I said, this all came together in the last two weeks prior to season. And uh, so we went out, um, our season's open on Saturday. We went out on Thursday, so two weeks prior to season, and uh, scouted it out, figured out where to put stand. Um, I put up a ladder stand based on um, prior knowledge from that landowner uh, of where to go. Um, just because I hadn't been on the property much myself, okay. um, I, I had walked through a little bit of it, but um, you know, I, I went on there very blind, uh, which was kind of odd for me. Um, you know, I, I didn't really know what to expect for this season um, in 2014. So, uh, yeah, I, I relied heavily on, on his past experience. Um, you know, one thing that really helped me, and, you know, kind of alleviate the, the wondering what ifs. Um, once I got up in my stand, I noticed there was two other uh, old box stands that were broken and laying down in the woods that were near where I had placed this one. So mm. I figured I was in a decent area because, right. you know, sometimes the old timers really knew what they were doing. And, uh, so, um, I feel like, uh, you know, the, this landowner, he put me in the spot. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I have to put, comment on that. I, every, you know, when I'm out in the woods and I come across this old wooden tree stand that's been there since the 1940s, I always like, you always have to think like, what, what's happened here before? Like what kind of hunting occurrences went down? Am I standing in a great spot? I must be because there's, this stand's been here and it's got a lot of history. So I'm with you. The the old timers knew just just from that experience without all the technology we have today. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and once I got up in my stand and, and really got the lay of the land, I realized, you know, this is, it was a, a true funnel um, for every sense of the word. It was just a beautiful spot. And I, I was really excited at that point um, just to see, uh, you know, what was going to happen. Like I said, going into the season very blind and not knowing the property, but um, I was I was getting excited at that point. Um, the landowner and his wife, uh, we, we put... Um, we set up straw bales on the ground for them. They're they're elderly, so um, they like to sit on the ground. So we set set them up with straw bales on the ground. They have kind of their own little forts going on and heaters and everything, so they're very comfortable. And we've got them in good spots too. And they're both excellent marksmen. Um, they're just they're great people. Um, so yeah, that was our Thursday prior to Saturday opening morning. Uh, we spent the day out there. It was as I recall, it was just a bluebird day, beautiful, not deer hunting weather at all. <laughs> gotcha. And uh, um, yeah, so that, you know, that was. That was the start of it. Um, uh, you know, going into opening morning. Um, right. What day? What what uh, day and um, season are we talking about here? Uh, this is uh, this past season. This would be opening morning. Would be Saturday, November eighth, okay. two thousand fourteen. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, yep. Um, you know, our opening morning. I got up into my stand, and uh, you know, I, I really had my my heart set on waiting for a mature buck this year. You know, Dean, we only had um, one tag to use. Um, I. Uh, uh, I have a tag, uh, the landowner and his wife, you know, I, I'm sorry, I keep referring to him as the landowner, but you know, none of us own the property we were hunting on, but, sure. uh, but, uh, we, so we had three tags. Uh, we talked prior to going out in the woods uh, th- and let's, decided, let's, when you were talking was, this was prior to sunup. Yes. All right. Yes, so prior to sunup, how, we, how'd we you get met. to the property? Did you come from your house? Did you stay at the camp? How did that all happen? Let's, let's back up even further. 
Sure. Um, well, we lost the camp when, when everything sold. So okay. uh, we actually lost the camp two seasons prior. So okay. um, I actually came from my house, and, and these this couple, they live right in Fergus Falls, so they came from their house as well. Okay. What time um, did you get there, roughly? Um, I'm trying to remember what time sun up was. <laughs> but it was sunrise, um, before sunrise, a couple hours before. before. Sunrise. Um, we're there about an hour, hour and a half before. Okay. Um, each of us, um, my uh, the the husband of the 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 older couple they will uh, he drives his wife to her spot um, they're both in open areas and kind of cow pasture okay um, so uh, we all kind of met at the south end of the property there's a, a where you can drive in there a gate um, that's kind of off to the side out of the hunting area so to speak and uh, we kind of get dressed there and, and go over the day's game plan and say when we're going to meet for lunch and um, and uh, you know we discussed at that time I always like to know prior. You know, if a doe comes by, do you want me to shoot it? You know, party hunting type thing. Party, okay. And and at that point, um, you know, the answer was no. You know, and I'm completely okay with that. Everybody, uh, our plan was everybody shoots their own deer. So, okay. Um, you know, that kind of solidifies in my mind. Okay, it's got to be a nice marker. I'm not pulling the trigger. So, okay. Um, what do you have? What do you have for temperatures that time of morning? What What are you looking at for wind and anything happening weather wise? Um, that particular morning was very windy. Um, we had a strong north wind, uh, which was fine because I had faced my stand to the south. So I had it to my back the whole day. Uh, that whole day was windy. Um, it was kind of a bear actually, but, um, but temperature wise wasn't bad. Um, we didn't have any snow at that time. Okay. Um, I, I want to say our temps were, I think they were in the forties and fifties. I think I'm right. trying to remember back. Real far. comfortable, super comfortable hunting weather. Yeah. It was, Almost it too was warm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know, I know our first snow of, of the season came the day after I shot my deer, which would have been November 10th. Okay. Um, so I know opening weekend we had bare ground and uh, we had wind and, and fairly comfortable temperatures. Okay. Um, so what kind yeah, of, I had, what kind of vehicle are you driving? Um, I was driving a, uh, a GMC Yukon XL. Okay. At that time, um, I don't have that anymore. But uh, okay. that was kind of my hunting rig last year, and I really liked it. <laughs> gotcha. The hunting rig, uh, got it. Yeah, it worked out great. Uh, I do a lot of bird hunting too, so it worked out great for the dog. Got to have a hunting rig, man. It's just, absolutely, it's just the way you got to roll. <laughs> I get absolutely, yeah. absolutely cool. All right, all right. Let's take a break because I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt this deer hunting story. But let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll finish this epic deer tale. Sound good? Absolutely. Okay. You know what the beauty of a podcast is, especially about this show? There's an entire catalog of shows we've done over the years that you can still listen to today because we keep them all there for you to listen to. You know, with 90-plus episodes, Jay, there is a ton of informal podcasts in the archives. There is. There's a, there's a slew of them that you wouldn't even believe. In fact, the other day when Jim Shockey posted his picture of Milo Hansen, you know what I did? I went and I found our interview we did with Milo Hansen, which happens to be episode number 40. And I listened to the whole show, and I was just absolutely blown away how entertaining Milo Hansen is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you want to get in, I, I was just on the Outdoor Channel watching some of Heartland Bowhunters episode, and man, what a great video quality that Heartland puts out. You know, if you want to check out their episode, you can go to number 62. One of my favorites is How to Cut Up a Deer. If you do your own butchering, I'd like to learn from the Deer Butcher, which is episode 28. You know, if you want to hear about the controversial King Buck, you can go back in, in episode number 42. That's what Jay Fish is the owner now. And then you can also listen in to the, the story from Johnny King at episode number 53. It's all there. It's all there for you to download right now. 
And all it's downloadable, it's streamable, it's radio on demand. You don't have to listen to the whole thing. You can fast forward through anything you want. I sometimes listen to it at one and a half times because I want the content, but I don't want to spend all day listening to the to the show or any show that I'm listening to. That's the beauty of a podcast. We want to say thank you for tuning in to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. And I say we get back to the show. Absolutely. So it's uh, it's windy, it's dark, you guys are coming up with a plan. You drove in, yeah. you're hanging out, and uh, where do you go from there? Um, from there, um, you know, my walk to my stand was fairly easy. I just walk up uh, this gravel road. Uh, like I said, there was a gravel road that went between our two properties. Um, so I'm, I'm walking north on this gravel road for a couple hundred yards. And uh, you know, prior, well, when we put up our stand, um, there's a three-strand barbed wire fence there. And uh, we had tied a rope to it where I had to walk in. Otherwise, I, I don't know if I'd have found it. But <laughs> okay. So, you know, I'm walking in with a headlamp and looking for that, that rope that tells me where to walk in. And, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I got in there with probably 20 minutes to spare, I suppose. Um, 20, when you say 20 there. minutes to spare, what do you mean? Tell us about that. Uh, prior to um, our our season opens a half hour before sunrise. So okay. I'm, I'm in there with about 20 minutes prior to legal shooting time, I should say. Okay. Uh, which gives me enough time. Uh, I did bring a camera arm and, uh, and put camera on, on the uh, camera arm and you know, get my final spray down and, and just kind of get settled in. So um, I kind of have a pre-hunt routine, just you know, get your seat cushion out and all that kind of stuff. So okay. make sure everything's, everything's good to go. Okay. Um, one you know, kind of a side note this year, I was really worried going into season. I, I had LASIK eye surgery um, oh. at the end of November. And uh, so I was actually hunting with, with uh, glasses this year, which was my first year ever hunting with glasses. I always wore contacts. Interesting. Um, so I was, I was extremely concerned that they were going to mess up my hunt. <laughs> Uh, I had duck hunted prior to it with, with glasses, and I just know that the rain and glasses don't mix, and I was really concerned about my glasses fogging up when I was looking through the scope, and, and right. I had all these things running through my head, which, you know, it was a bunch of hogwash, but it was all in my head, but uh, um, we made it through. But the concerns <laughs> were there. I mean, they were real at the moment. At the moment, they were. You know, I, I, had, I remember distinctly talking to my wife about um changing my appointment date so I could put my contacts back in for um, for the hunt. <laughs> I, w- I right was concerned that they were going to screw up my, right. my, my deer hunting. <laughs> Let's postpone the surgery, honey, so I can go deer hunting. That's what I like to hear. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess I am a little obsessive, but... Um, that's uh, that's how I roll, I guess. <laughs> that's the way I roll too. <laughs> Absolutely, I put off a surgery so I could wouldn't miss the deer season. No question yeah. about it. Not even a thought. It's just like, yeah, of course. <laughs> who who even thinks about getting something done when deer season's going on? Right. We'll have to schedule it around that to make sure. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Anytime after December fifteenth is fine with me, or right. or before <laughs> se- September fifteenth. Out in between, yep. uh-uh, <laughs> off limits. Yeah, if the clock ticks, ticks deer 30, it's over. You can forget yeah. everything else. I get really <laughs> agitated when people, like, schedule their weddings during that time, too. I'm I like, don't intend. I'm, I'm like, yeah, not happening. Yeah, that's a that's a fail from the start when they pull that trigger. fail from the start. All right, we're off on a tangent. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. All right, keep going. <laughs> So, yeah, um, you know, I'm up in my stand, like I said, about 20 minutes prior to legal shooting time. Um, uh, I, I really, like I said, uh, going into that particular spot pretty blind. I didn't know what to expect. So, um, uh, you know, right, this is, has never
never happened to me before, right at shooting time, and I mean to the minute, I have a deer walk up on me, mm. and uh, it walks in from the south, which is actually downwind of me, and uh, interesting, it walks straight to me, and I could tell it was a buck. I could not tell what he had for antlers. I just, I, I could tell he had one of the biggest bodies I've ever seen on a deer. Mm. Um, so I knew it was a mature deer, and I just... I wanted badly to see what he was carrying on his head, <laughs> right? But uh, uh, I, I just could not see. He got to within twenty yards. Um, too and dark. And he, what's that? Was it too dark? Yes, it was just too dark to see. Uh, you know, while it was legal enough to shoot, and I could have, um, I just could not. You know, even through my scope, I could I could see he had something on his head, but I don't know what it was. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, I was waiting for him to get closer. Well, that never happened, of course. So. Um, it was a very interesting 30 seconds. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah it, it, uh, so he walks up on me, and uh, he comes to the trail that I walked in on, and immediately his nose goes to the ground. And I could tell, well, you know, my gig's up here. So, um, you know, I'm looking at him and looking at him. I'm standing. I'm not silhouetted or anything. And uh, it's like he knew I was there. He picked his head up, just a, a slow head up, mm-hmm. and we locked eyes, and uh, it was over. He turned around and ran back the way he came from. No way. Um, and, and uh, you know, he was gone just as quick as he showed up. Uh, so I, I know without a shadow of a doubt it was a mature deer, you know, a, a young buck or a doe after seeing you, you know, they'd have done the, the bob and weave, the head bob, and right. tried to figure out what you are. But sure. um, but that mature buck, he was, he was gone. gone. So, um, you know, right then and there, I figured my season was done. <laughs> right. I I, uh, I figured my chance was, was there and gone. Uh, you know, I wasn't 30 seconds into my hunt, but... Uh, uh, so I'm sitting there sulking <laughs> in the <laughs> dark. Know, yeah. At that point, you know, you're like, should I have, you know, just shot him and been happy with it or, you know, but you know, like I said, I had made that decision that I wanted a, a nice mature animal with, a, you know, nice antlers this year. And, um, you know, I'm at this point, I'm glad I waited, but <laughs> right. you know, hindsight is 2020. Right. Well, maybe, maybe the other one was bigger than the one you shot. You never know. Yeah. You know, and it could have been the same deer, you know, by that's, that, that's true too, but it's, so. it's okay not to take the shot if you don't have a good clean shot. There's nothing wrong with exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, I didn't have a broadside shot either. It was, you know, head on, and, you know, granted it was close enough, but it was just, um, you know, I, I wanted to see what I was shooting at, you know, just right. plain and simple. Yep. So that's, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so after that, um, I'm trying to think what else happened. It was a pretty slow morning. I, I, uh, the the land to the north of me and immediately to the west is all swamp. Um, no open water really to speak of, but the water is there. It's just uh, mostly cattails, and um, there is kind of a almost a land bridge that's almost a hundred yards long um, between the finger woods that I'm sitting in, and then there's one uh, way up to the northwest. And uh, as I'm sitting in my stand, I can kind of make out this trail that runs through there. And I realize that trail is coming straight to me. So, um, you know, I'm watching that every so often. I didn't see any deer there opening day. Um, but the next day, I did have a couple come to me on that. Uh-huh. Um, more toward evening that day, I, I did see a couple does off to the west of me, actually pretty close to where I ended up shooting my buck. Uh, but um, but uh, no more antlers for that day. So. Uh, that was that was kind of it for opening day. Gotcha. Pretty, huh? Sun goes uneventful. down. You had an eventful day. You saw some deer. Had, had a mature buck come through early. Yes. Seeing closes. It's dark. You head back to the truck. Yep. Head back to the truck. Um, 
uh, you know, midday we did meet for lunch, uh, okay. so I, I wasn't in the stand all day. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, we met for lunch and kind of recapped the day, and it was pretty slow all the way around. Uh, if I remember right, um, uh, uh, everybody did see deer, but uh, there weren't any shots to be had. So, okay. uh, yeah, it was, uh, we all scored a, a zero for that day. Gotcha. Okay. Deer one, hunters zero. Exactly. Day one. All right. All right. So day two starts. Um, well, uh, actually heading heading home on day one, I did see a, about a 150-inch bruiser um, mm. standing in the highway. <laughs> That's always a good thing. It never fails, though. It's about where they hang out, I think, uh, is is yeah. on the way home. That's where they, they go. Yeah. I was, yeah. Never I was fails. Two, never fails. Two miles from home, and I'm coming down the road, and it's just standing there right in the middle yep. of the road. I actually had to slow down for it. And uh, he just he stepped into the ditch and let me pass by and drew a little bit. And, uh, uh, you know, that was it, you know. Um, oh but, yeah, yeah. So always see more deer uh, on the way home than you do in the woods. Always, <laughs> just the way it is. Nature. You see deer where you never seen deer before. Yes, <laughs> and yeah, exactly. But gotcha. um, you know, you could definitely tell the rut was was definitely in full. It was full on. Swing this year. So rut was, was on. Got it. It was it was a lot of fun that way. Okay. Um, so yeah, and you know, typical evening, you call all your buddies and see how they did. I I uh, call my dad and see how he did, and you know, and you wait for day two. So. Um, yeah, day two, you know, it started out pretty much the same way as, as the first day. Um, as I remember, mm-hmm. the the temperatures were a little bit colder, if I remember right. Um, they, it turned into a beautiful day later on. Um, it was uh, real sunny and just nice, you know, bluebird day. But um, and I'm pretty sure we had lost that wind that we had had on Saturday. But um, yeah, so anyway, um, it was basically the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. we have our pre-hunt chat, decide, you know, yep. you have, Did you have breakfast either morning? Um, no, no, oh. uh, not that I remember. I typically, when I wake up that early, I don't eat. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, gotcha. I kind of get, yeah, I get kind of stomach cramps if I eat that early for some okay. reason. So oh. I, I, I pack a lunch and snacks and all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff with me. So. Coffee, uh, juice, anything like that? I, I am not a coffee drinker. Not a coffee drinker. Right. So, uh, I, I, I do bring hot chocolate or uh, hot cider. I do that once in a while. So. Okay. Um, otherwise, uh, water and snacks. <laughs> You're, uh, but, uh, get, just get prepped and head right out. Yeah, basically, you know, a repeat of the day before. Um, okay. so I'm, I'm there. I know I was running late that day, so I was late getting into my stand and I know I wasn't in my stand five minutes prior to, to shooting light. And, and, uh, for me, that's a big deal. I like to be there and prepared. So, um, I was there and I would say within, well, again, it was, um, it was within five minutes of legal shooting. I had a deer walk by. This time across that land bridge I had described earlier, uh, I'd come in from the northwest and that was a doe and, uh, she had walked, um, within 20 yards of me and I never knew I was there. So that was, it was just a lot of fun watching her. And then, uh, I would say within 10 minutes, a buck followed her trail. So, uh, this was a smaller buck, maybe a five pointer. I did get some video footage of him. Um, you know, he came in nose to the ground following this doe. So like I said, the rut was on. Um, you know, he came by and he played around my stand for a while and just kept following her trail. Um, and that was uh, pretty much it for the morning um, until I shot my deer. Um, okay. So this was, you know, like I said, this all happened within the first 20 minutes or so. And, sure. Um, uh, then what had happened is uh, um, the I could see that you know, this, the events leading up to me shooting my buck, um, I could see the, the landowner, uh, who wasn't the landowner, but uh, my hunting partner, he had gotten up out of his stand and he was uh, walking... Uh, 
there was kind of a large wooded area and a hill in between him and his wife. And I could see him working his way up the hill, I assumed, you know, kind of putting on a little drive to his wife and probably going to do a little chatting. And um, So I, I had noticed this happening about, you know, 8.45 in the morning or so. And, uh, you know, I didn't think a whole lot of it. You know, when I do see a little bit of movement from people, I, I do keep my eyes open to see if there's anything coming or if they push a deer, but that didn't happen. So, sure. um then I did notice, um, probably around 9.30, he was walking back down, and he was walking a little bit different path down the hill. Uh, you know, this is 300 yards away from me. You basically just see an orange blob going through the trees. But um, So he was skirting the edge of um, all of these cattails that I was telling you about. And, um, uh, again, didn't pay a whole lot of attention, but um, so he kind of goes out of sight, and I catch the movement coming from that direction, and, and I look, and here comes a doe. So she comes bounding through, and, and uh, you know, she I can see glimpses of her through the cattails, and, and, and she stops a couple times. And so I'm watching, and, and here comes this buck behind her. And, uh, you know, I wish there was a, a better story, but uh, it was one of those split-second decisions. I didn't have a lot of time to think about it, uh, but the buck was going basically north to south. Um, I could see his entire left side. Mm. Um, and I could see pretty much from, you know, legs up and uh, the left side of the rack. To me, I, you know, didn't have a lot of time to judge it, but it, it looked, I tell everybody, it looked good enough. <laughs> good enough. So, Got it. Um, How far and, out were you Were you eyeing this, this deer at this point? Um, he was about, I, I ranged it after the fact, and I believe it was about 120 yards. Okay. So, uh, you know, it wasn't, it was it wasn't close. It wasn't far. Uh, right. uh, I shoot a, a Remington 270 mm-hmm. uh, with a four power scope, a straight four power. I don't have any other uh, variable power, but um, I was I wasn't looking at him through the scope. But um, you know, with the naked eye, he looked good enough. So, uh, like I said, I could only see that one side, and I saw. Um, I distinctly remember seeing uh, three times. So I'm like, well, you know, it's a it's a decent buck. So. I was ready to pull the trigger. So, um, you know, he was standing there. Uh, the doe had gone into some red willows, you know, some real tall, thick stuff. And uh, uh, I knew he was quick to follow. So I had, you know, split second to make a decision. And I, I did not have a rest. I also didn't have time to put my camera on, so I did not get this one on film. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, hindsight, I don't really care. But, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh so yeah, I uh, I I got on the deer and I pulled the trigger and he disappeared. Uh, it was as simple as that and as quick as that. Um, I kept. You went down or ran off? I, well, that's that was. I don't know. <laughs> oh. Okay. Uh, at that time, I didn't know. I he completely disappeared. I mean, within two bounds, he would have been out of my sight. So I I assumed he fell um, right where he stood because uh, the grass was so tall, I wouldn't be able to see it if he did. Um, so I, I just got my rifle ready, and I watched that spot like a hawk for 10 minutes, and uh, I never saw anything else. So uh, I gave him a little more time. It was probably probably 20 minutes to a half hour before I got down. Um, then I had the task of trying to figure out how I was going to get to him. You know, he was out in the middle of the sluegrass, which from my stand looked about knee high. Um, you know, once I got to the edge of it, I realized it's head high, and there's knee-deep water in spots, and um, so... It took me quite a while to pick my way through it, you know, jumping clump to clump and, and, and to get over that direction. Uh, you know, when, when you finally get over to where you think he is, of course, you're not quite, you know, everything looks different from the ground. So, Oh, yeah. Um, it, isn't that amazing? That's a good point. Like, <laughs> everything you see yeah. from the, the tree stand looks completely different when you get down there. It's, exactly. It's amazing. Yeah. 
so you know the spot that I thought he fell I was off by probably 50 yards that was too far north but um, you know so I thought I completely missed I couldn't find anything so I'm starting to you know, doubt myself and um, uh, I start doing some you know just searching around and eventually there he lays um, you know from my stand I couldn't see it but they were actually walking on dry ground mm. um, again another land bridge from, from one little section of woods to another uh, there's these islands of trees out there and uh, he had walked this land bridge and following this doe and uh, very late um, right where I shot him so gotcha. um, uh, when I walked up on him I, I'll be the first to admit I was actually a little disappointed um, his entire left side was buried in mud and uh, and uh, I'm sorry, it was 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 uh, down in the bluegrass, so uh, I could not see any of that. And then his right side, he was kind of twisted in a way that the tip of his uh, main beam was stuck in the mud, so I thought it was actually broken. Mm. Uh, so I, I didn't know what I had yet. You know, um, I should back up a little bit. You know, as soon as I walked up on him, that doe he was chasing had actually bedded next to him. No so, way. Uh, so she, yep, she was bedded down within 10 yards of him. She stood up and took off. One That's night. interesting. Wow. Now, I never, I mean, you, you hear about the, the bucks bedding down by the, the doe, but I, that's interesting. You said that. I haven't heard that before. Yeah. I, she she kind of took me off my feet almost. You know, I was looking at my, my buck, and all of a sudden she takes off out of this, uh, the red willows next to me there. And, hmm. uh, so, yeah, she had actually bedded down in, in that time that he was laying there. Um, Fascinating. Okay. Yeah. She must uh, thought it was time to take a nap like he did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, you know, that at, at this point, I, I thought I had a busted up buck, you know, which was you know, I, my previous largest deer um, was a nine-pointer taken on that, that other piece of property next door. Uh, beautiful deer, um, my biggest um, uh, biggest body deer uh, to, that I've ever shot. I mean, he was just a cow, um, but he was all busted up too. So, I mean, I was no stranger to that. And uh, I, to me, it's a trophy either way. I just, um, these these old battle-scarred deer, I think they're are just cool. I, oh, yeah. I actually, um, that deer... That particular buck I shot in 2009, um, he's, he just has a goofy rack. He has an extreme uh, inside curve on one one main beam, and the other one just kind of swoops out and doesn't match at all. And uh, He's got two busted tines, and um, he went 258 field dressed. Um, and just, nice. He just looked like a bruiser, and, uh, just an old deer. And uh, I actually got him, I originally put his rack on the wall just as a plaque, and I regretted it. Every day I looked at that, I regretted it. And... Uh, finally decided to uh, get him mounted. I actually got him back from the text and it was just a week ago. So uh, I've been looking at him every day here. But uh, uh, And that was my deer from uh, five seasons ago. So, uh, But anyway, back to this buck. Um, so, yeah, I finally grabbed hold of him and cleared everything off and realized what I had. And uh, um, I I am not an emotional person, but I did cry. <laughs> no way. I, uh, I, I uh, you know, my wife would be the first to tell you, I, I just, I'm not an emotional person. I don't get worked up about hardly anything. And I, I this deer brought tears to my eyes. I was that excited, um, you know, just to see the mass on, on the deer and, you know, clean everything off and, I mean, very, very symmetrical. Um, and, and to have the, um, the split uh, G3s the way they are, uh, you know, it makes him a non-typical. But, um, you know, he's a very typical non-typical. He's uh, just just a, a, a neat deer um, and a very heavy deer. And just uh, I couldn't be happier with him. Yeah. Did, did by chance you name that buck? Did I name him? Yeah. Um, uh, I did not personally name him. Um, I've got a friend that uh, has, he's got five deer on the wall, his biggest being a 163, I believe it is. And um, he, he called his biggest deer Tweaky Hogface. 
and uh um, hog face yeah <laughs> wow and when i sent him the picture of this one he he kind of dubbed mine the same thing he said you got your own tweaky hog face so i guess that's what i call him all right <laughs> like we can't um, have two tweaky hog faces on the planet <laughs> so no i guess i haven't named him dusty but, is a uh, is a world-class buck namer just so you know so uh, I think I think Dusty's going to give it a shot here. Yeah, I I, I did uh, check the buck out. Uh, t- it takes me a few minutes to do the thorough the thorough examination and and get it in the classification of the name that it deserves. I looked at that buck that you shot, Chris, and and I come up with the Viking buck. Oh, if you look at that deer, it looks just like a Viking helmet. It does. That is a great name. Absolutely. So that that fits the state you're in. Yes. And it also fits the rack that's on top of the deer because that that thing first thing that popped in my head that's a Viking helmet. Look at that thing. Look how heavy it really is. <laughs> it looks like it's got the the bull horns coming out of the metal helmet. You know. Yeah. The big yep. huge mass. I'm going with the Viking buck. I'll second I, that. I like the name. I like the name. I think I'll keep that. <laughs> I'm with I you, take man. Credit for it, though. That's a great name. <laughs> uh, the I Viking was... buck. I love yeah, especially it. his brow tines. They come straight up, and they're, they're just daggers. They're, they're going to inflict some pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it just fits the buck. It yep. seems to me that there needs to be a whole other category of scoring that, you know, all these other bucks you see, they're they're not super thick. I mean, they're they're thick, but there's this other, like, mega category of just these chubby tines bucks that exist out there that seems like they should just have their own brand-new scoring system altogether. Yeah, and it, you know it's interesting you say that. I have a, a good friend of mine who's just—he's an insane whitetail hunter. Just—I mean, he's up there with me. Uh, he's more of a bull hunter. Um, uh, His—he—he he has shot some massive deer as well. You know, his biggest being—I believe it's a 193, non typical. Um, but he's got some um, mass as well. And we were both chatting that the scoring system doesn't give enough credit to mass. It doesn't. Um, and. Uh, um, he brought up a good point that I thought was very interesting that they should do um, like a, a water submersion. Um, so you're actually getting like cubic centimeters right. of, of antler. Right. Um, you know, and that would, it would take out all imperfections. You know, it would just displace water. Um, you know, that would be kind of interesting. That would be the see. pure system altogether. It would, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I guess you uh-huh. could add in symmetry somewhere if you wanted to, but I think that would be the pure mass way to check. The rack, exactly. like just score. It would be. How yep. much water did you displace? That would be yep. it. Yeah, I, I, you know, personally, I would love to see something like that implemented. But you know, there's nothing wrong with the score that that or the scoring system that is in place right now. I just, I feel like it doesn't give enough credit to the mass. I agree. I completely agree with that. I think that there's this whole other category. Like I said, that. It almost deserves a whole other, you know, you got the typical, the non-typical, then you got the Viking bucks. That's what we need. We need the Viking scoring system. What, what's what's the, the biggest uh, mass on the main beam of that buck? Uh, let's see. Um, the biggest mass measurement, um, I got uh, six inches on uh, down at the bases. Um, you know, and all my measurements were, well, except right out that, to the, to the ends, all my measurements were, you know, I had six, um, five and two eighths, five and seven eighths, uh, another five, five and six eighths. So, so I mean, it's it's thick from from top to bottom. It, it, the the main beam is really they just carry the mass all the way out. Um, you know, even um, it, it had to be scored as an eight pointer, so I had to take the 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 measurement halfway between the the last time and the tip, and even that is four and a half inches. Um, wow! So th- this th- 
that's cool. this Viking buck, you know, and, and I'm going to explain this for the listeners. I mean, this thing has mass from the basis clear to the tip. And, and you're talking out towards the tip, it was four inches. So it, it, it carried an average of five inches all the way through the main beam on both sides. Yes, basically. That's amazing. Uh, the tip is twice as thick as a really quality deer that would be on the, the, the base of the main beam. Oh, absolutely. That's insane. You know, and, and another testament to the actual mass is like uh, the the outside spread is 20 inches. Uh, the in spread is, inside spread is 16. So that tells you each each antler is two inches wide. Uh, wow. You know, just looking right. down on it. Right. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's really remarkable. Uh, and, you know, another thing that's interesting is both of the tips on the main beams are bladed. So they've actually flattened out. Um, and they, they look like knives kind of on the, no the kidding. edge of all of them. So uh, it, it's really interesting. Um, you know, there's a real tight tight curl to, to both the antlers, uh, I'm sorry, both the main beams, um, that are actually look very similar to the deer I shot on a neighboring property in 2009. I personally believe they're related deer. Mm. Um, they both share the mass. You know, that one had five and a half inch bases as well. So, um, you know, I've shot two deer on that basically same property that that shared these mass genes. So, um, you know, I, I think they're related deer. I would second that. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, you got a nice little gene pool of uh, fatty tine bucks walking around out there. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. It's a, it's, a, it's a sweet rack. Land of the Viking bucks. Whew. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I, I'm real happy with it. I, I just, uh, you know, store aside, you know, it's, it's, it's just, uh, it, it's got the character and I... I don't know. If you look at, um, you know, all the different characteristics of a rack, you know, you can have width, you can have height, you can have, you know, length of tines, uh, and you can have mass. Um, personally, I just love the mass. I just think it's impressive. Um, I, I don't want to toot my own horn because this, obviously, it was a luck deer. And I'm not going to say that I'm the best hunter out there and that I grew this deer for the last five years. And, you know, I'm, I, I'll be the first to tell you that I drew the lucky straw that day. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm extremely humbled by being able to take an animal that way um, and that size. Uh, but I just love the mass. Yeah. Oh, I can, I can definitely see why. I love it too. I think it's it's a, it's a beautiful animal, and it's just a unique deer and a unique rack. I love it, absolutely love it. And that's what caught my eye, and that's why I've asked you to join us on the on the Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast to tell that tale. And man, you told it well. So, uh, because I can't I can't say thank you enough for for telling that whole story. No, I, it's my pleasure. I just um, you know I, I love talking deer hunting. It's just the way I am. It's what I do. Um, awesome. But yeah. Yep. Just, uh, give us give us your best deer hunting tip, Chris. You got one tip. tip. Your best number one deer hunting tip. Let's hear it. Of all time. What do you got? Of all time. Um based on my prior experience, I would say it's just to be persistent. Uh, that's you know, it's it's not really a tip, it's just um figure out what you want to do, what your goal is, and you know, set that goal and don't let anything get in the way. Right. That's a great tip. Great tip. Well, that that was just fantastic, Chris. Thanks for uh, joining us on the Big Buck Podcast, and thanks for joining sure. us on the show. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Another beautifully scripted, told by the hunter themselves, deer story in the books. Man, the Viking buck. What a great story, Jeff. Great story. You know, it, it goes to show you that not, not only you can lose a farm, and and go next door and and shoot a buck off the next door neighbor's farm. It goes to show you that uh, you know losing the farm always isn't a bad thing. 
yeah, you can be down and out. And yeah, you can be depressed that uh, you're losing this particular farm. But, you know, there's always a neighbor that you could possibly ask. There's always somebody in the general area where you know there's some deer at. Uh, it doesn't hurt to ask around, and, and, and it's always a good thing when you can get on the neighboring property and capitalize on, on harvesting a buck. It is a beautiful system, and I'm, uh, deer don't go away. You know, they can show up on the, the next line over, the next plot over. It's just one of those things. And uh, Chris was there at the right place, right time. Yeah, amazing story, Chris. Thank yeah. you for joining us. Just awesome. I lo- and you know, and he said he cried. I think I'd cry too. What, you know what was fascinating about that whole thing? Tell me the doe, the doe that laid down. Yeah, she she he got the dirt nap right, and, and she thought it was time to take a nap. Right here, I you know you always think that the bucks follow the does, the bucks follow the does, and you always see them laying down when the doe lays down. But I never thought to think that a doe would lay down because they want to hang with the buck. Amazing. It's amazing. It makes you think that he might have been the dominant buck. Absolutely. It makes you think about a whole lot of scenarios in that situation. You might change up some of your hunting tactics just knowing that. Right. Absolutely. In a couple scenarios, you know? Yeah, I agree to that. You know, it could it could potentially be a buck, uh, you know, that the, the doe is in love with or whatever. Right. And, and she followed his every move. Right. Where is she going right now? Right. As opposed to where where is where are they going to and what's following? It might be where is she going to go to? You know, just those little details, just little things sometimes yeah, make all the a, difference. It's almost like a tip in itself right there. It really is. Speaking of tips, Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines tip of the week? We do, Jay. You know, I'm going to get into a little bit about shed hunting. Shed hunting's not easy. Shed hunting, you're not successful 100% of the time. But it's the the experiences and the memories and the, the good times you had while you were shed hunting that matter. So if you're going out shed hunting and you don't find anything, go again and again and again and again. One of them times, you're going to go out there and there's going to be an antler laying there. And it's going to make the whole experience come together. That's my tip of the week. Don't give up on shed hunting. They're out there. You just got to locate them. Gotcha. Love it. Awesome, man. Well, it's been another fantastic show. And uh, I'd like to kind of run down a little bit about where we can find you and where everybody else can find me. But before we do, I'd like to just ask once again, if you have a couple extra bucks kicking around that you're not using and you do listen to the show and you love the show and you love the Big Buck Registry and Chubby Tines Outdoors and you love all the pictures that show up, we're wondering if you might be able to help us out and send in a buck or two or five or whatever you have, 50 bucks, anything helps and any, all of it goes a long way. We don't Absolutely. need, a, we don't need, we're not asking for a ton of money. We're just trying to offset some of our costs that it takes to run this show. So if you, if you have something kicking around and you'd like to send it our way, we have a website set up specifically for donations to the Big Buck Registry and you can visit it by going to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash donate. And there you'll see a big green button with some information about what you're doing. And all you have to do is push the green, big green button. It'll send you to our PayPal link. And, and when you get there, you can just type in however much money you want to donate to the radio show. Now, we're not doing this for profit. We're just trying to offset our costs. So that would be awesome if you could do that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just a couple bucks. A couple bucks. Anything helps. You got a little extra. We really appreciate it. Yep. If you picked up all the coins at the uh, at the checkout counter at the, the package store, you know, all the pennies. Yeah. If it equals a buck, we'll take that too. So. Absolutely. And we really thank you for considering. Yes. And thank you again to James Keller for his donation over the past week. It's really, really going to help us out a lot. Well, Dusty, how can we find you online 
and offline if we wanted to like email you or something. You can email me at Dusty at Big Buck Registry. And you also find me at Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. Jay, how can the people reach out to you at the Big Buck Registry? Well, I'd first like to invite you, if you're tuning in through a different podcast channel, to come and check us out on iTunes if you have an iDevice, an Apple device. And all you have to do is get the podcast app, and there are other ones out there like Overcast. Uh, Just type in Big Buck Registry when you get there. And you'll find us, and you can subscribe for free and be notified of all our new shows that came out. And if you wouldn't mind, please help us out and give us a review. Uh, If you haven't done that yet, we could really use the reviews. Um, It helps us rank. It helps us um, show that we're doing well, and iTunes likes that if you say we like your show. And uh, you can always find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Big Buck Registry. Twitter, we're getting into Twitter now. We're getting into, we've been on Twitter for a long time, but we're kind of doing more of that. Uh, that's at bigbuckregistry.com forward slash Twitter. We're also on Instagram, bigbuckregistry.com forward slash Instagram. You can always go to our website, which is just plain old bigbuckregistry.com. You'll see all of our shows listed there. And if you'd like to send in a picture you can go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck and you'll see all the information there on how to send in a picture and you'll be featured on the Big Buck Registry if it's a good deer. And if you'd like to do a share for share, if you're in the outdoor industry, uh, you can go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash S4S and or you can just do the old school method. You can either call me 724-613-2825, leave me a message if we, if we don't pick up and you could always email me, jay at bigbuckregistry.com. I think that's all the places we're hanging out, man. Big buck, big buck everywhere, everywhere. big buck. <laughs> I love it. Hey, you know, we got to, I'm not going to let our cat out of the bag here. Yeah. We got a project that we're working on, and, you know, I think April's going to be an awesome month to be tuning in, and, and we'll be launching our new project. Yes. We can't let you know what it is yet. But stay tuned. There's something big on the horizon. There big. is something big. Huge. Bigger. Bigger than anything you ever thought about. You know, I want to shout out to the guys up there at the Up North Journal. Mike and Red, hope hope all's well. And, uh, you know, we uh, we look forward to our next adventure with you. Absolutely. I'm going to give it a, a couple shout outs to Up North Journal, Carrie Z over at Carrie Zilka. I'm going to give a shout out to the Fish Nerds, my good buddies, Dave and Clay over at the Fish Nerds, uh, Brandon Hammonds over at Take Aim Outdoors, and Ken Blanchard from Blanchard Outdoors. Awesome. Shout out to all those guys. All great podcasts, all things you should be tuning into. If you're listening to this show, you want to listen to all those shows too. Absolutely. Well, man, I think that's a wrap. That was a great show, and uh, thanks again, Chris. Thanks again, James Keller, for your donation. We really appreciate that. And, yes. you, know, you guys take take time, and, and if you got a few extra bucks, Big Buck Registry, forward slash donate yes. donate a couple bucks and, and help us out with the cost of the show you know we're uh, we're rocking and rolling and we got some awesome things coming in the future for everybody and we sure do appreciate you tuning in with us every week right here on the big buck registry deer hunting podcast i'm dusty phillips and i'm jay scott we'll see you next week can't wait